engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 221. And today in the show, we're talking summer trail cameras, big woods habitat projects, CWD hitting close to home, and much, much more. Alright, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx, and today it's just me and Dan, and I think for this one, we just need to have a good old sitter on the campfire BS session, um, since since when this podcast will be actually going out into the world, that's going to be 4th of July week, so hopefully a lot of us will be on vacation, I actually will sort of be on vacation um, so it makes sense that we just need to kick back and have a good time. Don't, don't you think Dan? I agree, man. We need to just let it all hang out on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like exactly what everyone's hoping for. Um, we have, we haven't done just like a you and me BS in a while though. So there's a, there's a good amount of stuff to catch up on. I thought, um, right. you've been up to some good stuff in the woods. I've been up to some different projects. There's some kind of recent news around me in Michigan that I think we should talk about. Um, plus I'm taking off on a trip soon. I don't know. There's all sorts of good things we could, uh, dive into. So what's new with you? Oh, not too much, man. You know, father, husband stuff last this, this past Sunday, uh, I got a breakaway right from the, the family and I was able to go out and hang my trail cameras. So they are out, they're soaking, collecting uh, pictures, hopefully. And, uh, dude, I don't know what it is. Now Now that that has happened, that's like a big first step for me. Uh, and I know it is for a lot of guys. Once you get those trail cameras out this time of year, that's when, for me, it's the official start of the upcoming season. Yeah. Yeah, this, this time of year, like, you've got cameras are going out. You start yep. seeing the bachelor groups out in the fields. And then for me, yep. for whatever reason, when I start driving down the roads and the corn and beans are high enough up that there's no more dirt showing, like it's just yep. a sea of green now. For for yep. whatever reason, I was driving down the road last night and I was just noticing that. I'm like, oh, this is a new phase of the year has officially started now that that's happening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just love absolutely. it. Um, 
So you got the cameras out. Tell me, tell me, tell me all about it. how many did you get out? Would you put them in any new places? Is this like your usual setup? What, what was the yeah, game man? Like? Just my usual setups. I mean, every place that I put a trail camera as of right now, um, I've had trail cameras there in the past, right? So th- these are my pretty much my set mineral stations where I've had mineral there in the past. Uh, it's just just now it's like bare dirt, right? Sometimes there's even a hole there and uh, put trail cameras over it. And it's, what was it? Uh, about a month ago is when I put the mineral out. So they've been hitting it pretty hard and heavy. And, uh, you know, it's not, I mean, there's nothing really too exciting about going out and putting up trail cameras, except while I was out, uh, I jumped a stud buck. I really couldn't tell if he was an eight, like if he was going to be an eight or if he was going to be a 10, he's about 300 yards away. But all I saw was he was wide, a ton of mass, which all bucks this time of year look like they're going to be massive. (laughs) Right. But one thing I noticed is his brows. I'm not joking when I say this, they could be like 10 inches, 10 inch brows. Good night. Yeah. So he was a freaking stud of a buck, even this time of year. But, yeah. you know, by now. So, so now I'm just like geeked out, you know, trying to figure out, um, I went back looking at all the old trail camera pictures, trying to, uh, figure out what buck it could be, uh, if it was a buck from last year. But, um, there's a couple, I think that it could be, but, uh, you know, only time will tell on that front. Did he have any time length on like his, his, uh, you know, the other times other than the brow tines yet, or is it just kind of main beams and brows at this point? Yeah, it was main beams, brows. I mean, he had he had G2s and what looked like G3s, um, but he was kind of angling away from me. And then finally he turned and was running straight away from me and um, right in the middle of a bean field. And uh, it, like he was wide open. I could see him really good. It was sunny out. I, I just couldn't see him from the side really or from uh, head on. But I could tell you he was already out past his ears and he had good brows. So... It's encouraging. So you got camera locations around that area? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, I have this one particular – I think I've talked to you about this before, but I have one particular trail camera set up for the summer that gets gigantic deer on it every single year. So like basically all the deer um, that – almost all. I'm going to say 80% of the bucks that I will be hunting this fall – will be on this trail camera uh throughout the summer and uh it's just one of those deals why do you think that is like what is it about that location because i i've had a couple spots like that too where you could have two trail cameras in the summer and they might be just 100 yards apart and one of them is just money and gets all the bucks and one of them could be just a no man's land what's this i'm curious what this spot is like um I'll, and then I'll describe my best summer camera location. And I kind of wonder if there's any similarities. Right. So this is in the middle of a field, dude. Uh, it's uh, on a terrace, to be honest with you. And it is, but the, but for, from for the people, road. For people that aren't like in kind of hilly farmland, can you explain right. what you mean by like this terrace thing in a field? Yeah. So farmers will terrace their fields. It's basically a natural retaining wall to keep the, like to reduce the slope of the land. So, uh, there's not so much, uh, water erosion when it rains, it kind of slows everything down, maybe even 
at times kind of kind of just drifts up a little bit but then it has a steep back wall on it that they plant in grass so there's no erosion there um hopefully that was a okay description but that makes sense but yeah so it's it's on this terrace with a little strip of grass on either side of it and i'm on the i'm on the high end of it and i'm telling you right now man it's it's crazy because where the road goes right the terrace is below the road so the deer can hang out there right first off it's in corn right now so there is there's no you can't see you can't see anything from the road anyway second if it was in beans or whatever it would all be below the the road so you can't see you know you can't see the deer even if they were there so these deer feel really safe in this area i have a feeling because there is there's cover um there is food and there's water all in this one little area now when i say cover i mean the corn and some some taller grass mixed in with some really short you know scrubby trees nothing that you could ever put a tree stand in but i mean that's this is where they hang out and a lot of the pictures are nocturnal so they're coming from someplace else to hit this camera um some you know throughout the summer there, there's probably going to be a uh you know a couple daylight pictures but it's 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 a spot that I found on accident. Oh, by the way, same field where I found all my sheds in this year. Ah, yeah. It's that, it's that field. So yeah, man, it, it's, it's overlooked. I think a lot of people would overlook areas like this. Not, not, I'm not saying hunters in my area, but other hunters this time of year, deer d- don't need to sit in the timber and wait. Cause they got tons of cover everywhere else in egg in, in the egg world anyway. So this is your your main big farm, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get pictures of deer at this spot, how far away do you? How far away could you potentially see these same bucks on different spots of this farm? Like I'm I'm wondering, like okay, yeah. I imagine they disperse. So in November, do you ever get pictures of these same bucks? You know, on the totally opposite side, you know, three quarters of a mile away or something like that. Yeah, man. Um, so in the peak of the rut when the trail cameras are showing the most activity is when I will get a buck, you know, these bucks cruising from one end of the farm to the other. And there is a little bit of a natural flow with the terrain, you know, from, from one side of the farm to the other, but this particular spot. So imagine my farm being a a long rectangle just to make things easy, laid down on its side, uh, running East and West. So, this this field is even further southeast of my east side of the farm. So I have access to this field, but it's not in the main farm, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not a part of the main farm. Yep. But but it's like there's a road and another property in between them, another farm, uh, like a field. So it's uh, – dude, it, it's just crazy how it works. When I stumbled upon it, one – one year I was, I was just kind of scouting. I went into, I parked my truck, walked through this cornfield to get to this bean field. And I jumped like five decent sized bucks. So I dumped mineral out. I put the trail cameras up and sure enough, that's where they all were, man. Is this where you had that encounter during the hunting season with that big nine pointer? Oh, um, yeah. Yep. Uh, and I got it, got that on film, I yes. believe. Yep. 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 That's correct. 
Yeah, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about that. I thought that was this place, um, but that, that yeah. So it's interesting that this is a spot that's great for the summer, but then also right. when I think you had standing corn around it, it can be a yep. decent spot even during hunting season, huh? Right. So this spot will be good until the crops come out and then it's over. Mm-hmm. However, I get I it's almost like I say this, but then I have an example of it not being right. So I had two mature bucks, probably both four year olds. One might have been three uh, cruising this field this last year. Crops come out. It disappears. However, the pr- two years previous, I had that big 170 10 pointer mm-hmm. that uh, I believe I talked to you about. Mm-hmm. He was he was working that field uh, even after the crops were out. So. I guess it just depends on where the does are at. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah. how many cameras total do you have out there now? Let's see. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Six? Yep. Six out right now. And how many acres is that that you're covering? Um, let's see. We're we're looking at five hundred, well, probably eleven 1, hundred. Have you, do you ever run more or is this usually like uh, the reason I ask is I'm curious, like, have you found like, is this your usual number? And do you, do you usually yeah. end up capturing like summer pictures of all the main bucks that you'll see or? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, I, that, that number on this amount of acres is, will get me a really good amount of bucks. I could go in, but here's the problem. The way I could get some trail cameras closer to certain parts of the farm but then we start getting into the the whole is it too close to where i hunt and i don't want to take that risk so i don't even bother putting the um you know putting the the trail cameras there because i a i don't want to risk it and getting in trouble and b the deer will show up like the september is a huge shift and i think you've heard me talk about this on the farm right so there's like a week in September, and then after that, it's like the second week of September, boom, yeah. there's a, a gigantic shift, and n- new deer come into the farm, and the deer that have been there all summer leave, and yep. there's just a handful that are there both summer and fall, but it is, it's crazy, so it's not like all of the deer, and when I used that, when I said 80% earlier, I meant like four deer. Right. So four deer, four bucks will, you know, stick around for the summer. And then I'll be seeing those shooters uh, or the deer that I want to target on that farm uh, in the fall. So where's your uh, where's your head at for this year? Since, you know, at the end of last year, we you, we usually have like our debrief right. session after the hunt, after the season, everything. And now we've had some months now that we're looking forward to the next one. I just saw you post something about uh, that buck you killed last year. Yeah. Um, and you know, people were talking about what age it was and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where, where, where's your head at for this year? Now, are you, do we have a target age? Do you have any more thoughts, anything different than how we were six months ago? You know, I think I'm just going to go out and hunt. Right. I'm not going to I'm going to pass deer that I want to pass. And if one comes by that I want to shoot, I'm going to shoot it. Um, 
I wish I could say I have a, a grand plan, but here's what I will tell you. I've, I've killed deer two years in a row now. So I think that it might be time to up the standards just a little bit and go after something a little different. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I, you know, I don't think I'm going to be afraid to eat my tag, my buck tag this year. I'll put it that way. Hmm. So what does that mean? Five-year-old? That, uh, or are you, you trying know, to find like a buck, like you, certain antlers or what? No. What's, I, what's I, the next level for you then? So I'll tell you this. Two, th- two things that I'm thinking about right now. There are two bucks on the property that I hunt who for the past God knows how many years, I'm going to say I have – five years worth of trail camera pictures of them. They're nothing spectacular in the antler department. They are spectacular in the size of their bodies, right? Just these gigantic bodied bucks. I have five years. I'm going to say they're probably seven year old bucks. I, I really want to find out where they live. I want to find out how their access, you know, where they're, where they're coming from. Um, are they coming? I think they're coming off different properties and hitting, uh, the property at nighttime, Um, so how am I going to, I really want to try to find a way to intercept these two particular bucks, find them, locate them and try to hunt them if possible. And that, and yeah. And then there is another buck that is, was a three-year-old last year. I'm, I'm thinking he was a three-year-old big 10. And if he just I don't know if he's a, if he was a 160 10 pointer last year, I'm really interested to see what he's going to be like this year, uh, as a four year old. So, and he, he ran the gauntlet a couple times as well. So I want to locate him. And other than that, it's just going to be one of those things where if I'm sitting in a tree and depending on my mood and the deer I want to shoot walks by, I'm going to shoot a deer, right? I mean, either way, I'm going to be happy either way. I'm going to I'm hunting, so that's a plus, right? I'm not, I'm not in my cubicle, so that's a win. <laughs> yeah. What's the, uh, what's the store or what's the deal with these two old bucks? You ever, have you ever seen them before? Or is it just, just trail camera pictures over the last five years? Uh, do you call yeah. these deer anything, or, or how can I remember these deer? Is there like the big eight and the big ten, or do you call well, one of these like goofy or what? Well, one, one buck is named Dork. Uh, okay. Um, I remember that. I, he do look, he looks like a pit bull, uh, just like real stocky. The other one kind of does too. I feel but, like you've been talking about this deer since I've known you. You've been mentioning yeah, this deer dork. He's been around forever. Yeah, man. Uh, I think the first year, I mean, he could be even older than seven, uh, but he shows up every single year and every single year I, 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 I can never locate him. Right. So I, either my trail cameras are in the wrong, wrong spot. I think this, I think you, okay, let me back up. You hear these stories and I'm sure you've probably ran into a scenario like this too, where you hear these stories of these bucks that may not even find breeding real interested. They're not interested in the rut, right? They, you can't call to them. You can't, um, I don't know. They won't visit food plots in the daytime. They're just a super weary old mature buck that doesn't will not fall for any tricks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's how this buck has made it. He he knows his he he probably has been sitting in the same number of beds his entire life 
and he's found a routine that has kept him alive and he's found the exit routes that have kept him alive and he has maintained that and has been persistent with that his whole life and he's going to die of old age or sickness i think that's or you i want to come on yeah i mean i mean but i i want to find where he lives i want to find how he's coming even if it's just a corner of the farm for a small period of time i like i want to find it so do you have like a game plan for how to do this? Like are you, this September, are you going to put cameras in spots you never have before or are you going to do something yep. different? Yep. That's the goal, man. I have, I'm going to put a couple pictures in or a couple cameras in some wacky places that have some minimal deer sign, you know, I mean, unless you're finding where these deer bed, um, it could be on another farm where he's leaving most of his sign then, you know, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot and trail cameras will help me with that. But, uh, so basically here's what I want to do. I want to get a, a picture of him, just one picture of him. And then I can start from there. Right. And say, okay, well he's coming through here at this time of day. Now I can go back in. I just go back in just a little bit more, uh, to, to the property. And I don't know. I mean, and the other thing is this buck could be right under my nose and just has never been caught on other trail cameras, right? You know, just taking a little bit different of a path every day. Have, have you ever got him hard horn or is it always just summer? Yeah, I've gotten him hard horn. He came through a pinch point about two years ago. Um, nocturnal, of course. Um, and then the other buck that kind of fits the same description came through um on a trail leading to like the crp field two years ago and then other than that man it's just kind of random occurrences nothing like and it, it's all been early october but nocturnal gotcha. so these deer could shift and go someplace else but crop rotation i think it's going to have a lot to play with this like these deer show up more on this particular crop rotation so it's a corn year yeah uh, well it's i don't want to say it's a corn year or bean year it's just how there's and there's corn and beans all over the farms that i hunt it's just the their the rotation that it's in this year seems to have more deer on my property gotcha so some something to do with where the certain Corn right. is to bedding areas or whatever it might be, some right. relationship between the habitat and the food this way. Gets right. Hmm. Right. Interesting. The other thing I'm really interested in about in this year is that, do you remember two years ago when they uh, cut the farm for uh, timber? Yeah, I do. Is that getting thick? Dude, it is gross thick. Like, it is, it is what whitetail hunters bow hunters want to set up downwind of i'm oh, telling man. you right now it's just beautiful that's awesome mega bedding area huh just just thick and there's trails like burrowed through it and oh man like last year when i ended up when i was hit when i my arrow hit the branch on that big eight pointer uh-huh like four four three-year-olds came out that night uh no the the night before and then the night that i um ricocheted the arrow on that buck uh, that was the next night he came from the same place so it's a doe bedding area just set up downwind of it and wait 
Sounds money. Yeah. Man. I'm excited. What about yeah. you, man? I've been talking too much. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I've been doing some work here on the southern Michigan property and then spent a weekend up on the northern Michigan property. Um, so doing work there. The Ohio thing, as you know, that's that's gone. So now I'm trying I lost to figure the property out property this year too. Which one did you lose? The one that I killed my buck off last year. Oh, did you really? Yeah. That's yep. a bummer. The uh the farmer or the guy the farmer passed away, right? Uh the son uh is now kind of in charge of it and he said him and his son are gonna hunt and I said, Hey, good luck. You know, call me if you need help dragging a deer. Yeah. So to tell them to shoot every one and two year old they see. <laughs> uh, don't worry, they just probably kidding. will. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Inside no. joke. Sort of. I know. <laughs> no, it's it's all cool though, man. I mean, it, that's good that they're gonna hunt their property. It's you know, it's uh, I have other places I can hunt, and the other hunter that was there, he's probably pissed that I even came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It kind of is what it is. There's nothing. When, when someone tells you, yes, you can hunt their, their farm and they don't know that another hunter is there. Uh, and then I, I say to the landowner, Hey man, um, there's somebody else in there. And then that landowner doesn't know who it is and says, Hey, who are you? (laughs) And then, then all that kind of, then I get kicked off the farm and he gets kicked off the farm. So the farmer, so the farmer's son and grandkid can hunt. It sucks for everybody, but you know, at least the, these guys uh, will be actively hunting their farm this year. Yeah, and you had a fun you had a fun hunt there last year, at least. So, yep, absolutely, that's absolutely. good, dude. Yeah, as far as me, I mean, the Ohio property's gone, so um, I got to figure out time to get down there and pull our stands and everything. But I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, I I've had a bunch of offers actually to hunt different places like uh we did uh we did a live meat eater podcast last week down in ohio um yeah. with ranella and those guys and, and we talked about this a little bit just mentioned the fact that i used to hunt that i hunt down there and don't have a spot anymore so i've had a lot of people like reach out to me and offer me places to hunt which is amazing and i appreciate it so much but right. you know how that is i mean um it's it's hard to 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 go into something like that without really knowing what you're getting into and without knowing the people, you know, so much of, you know, of hunting a place, if you're going to be hunting with other people, so much of like your enjoyment of that situation comes down to who they are and your relationship and all those other intangibles. So it's really hard right. to just kind of get into something without having that past relationship. So I've always been pretty hesitant to ever do that. Um, so I'm kind of hesitant to do anything like that right now. So right now I'm still kind of, trying to find my own my own deal but um but but who knows maybe one of these things will pan out um so maybe find a new spot in ohio maybe just do something totally different um i've been you know looking at we talked about me trying to do that public land north dakota hunt that's something that maybe maybe i can fit that in now since i'm not going to do the ohio hunts like i usually do mm-hmm. um is that over the counter yeah yeah okay um, so that's, so I don't know. I got to figure stuff out on whatever, but, but right now as it is, I mean, I've got an early season hunt in Montana and then Michigan and that's it right now. So I'm yeah. kind of spare sparse as far as my usual plans, but Michigan, I've got like a, I've got more stuff in Michigan than I usually do. Cause I got that new big property. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, back behind the house, it's been kind of just like habitat work so far with, you know, with the, with the baby and stuff with work lately. I just haven't been able to do as much as I wanted to do as far as like moving stands and stuff. There's a bunch of changes I want to make to kind of tweaks to some stand locations. I want to add some cover on some spots. I got to go and just check straps and do all that usual stuff too. Um, and just based off of last year where I was seeing Holyfield during the rut, I want to add some more stands around these bedding areas towards the, the far east side of the property. So I'm going to have to do that, though, in, in August because I leave, I leave here for Montana shortly. Um, but I did do some habitat stuff. I've been maintaining, you know, just keeping my food plots maintained. I, uh, you know, I talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but got, got my food plot screen planted around one of these plots. And um, I'm kind of changing the size and the shape of that one a little bit. It used to be sort of, um, it used to kind of look like a pie, like a piece of pie. Imagine like a quarter of a pie. And in the, in the inside corner of that, there's a little clover plot. And then the right, the right half of the triangle, then there was a, a plot. And then there was a gap or the kind of a section of grass in the middle. Like if you were to slice that pie into two pieces and then yeah. the left side of it, there was another section of plot, but, you know, a couple of years ago, I think I told you about this. Um, the far left pie piece of that pie got overgrown with weeds when I was gone for the summer one year. Yeah. Um, so this year I'm kind of reclaiming that, but I'm instead of like doing one big plot in there, I'm kind of just like snaking through um, like a thin strip through it. So there's going to be a bunch of tall grass and brambles and stuff all around it. And then just a narrow strip of food that'll kind of weave its way around that. Um, and I think that'll pull some deer past my stand location a little bit better. So, you know, just kind of doing stuff like that, spraying, maintaining, checking on things. That's all I've done on that property. Um, I haven't put up cameras yet. I usually so, do, but. So how much have you thought about Holyfield? Honestly. You know, not as much as you might think. I mean, I thought about, I mean, yes and no. <laughs> I've thought about a good bit and I've been looking for them. I've been driving around the roads and scouting some fields here in the summer and like I told you a couple of weeks ago, I thought I maybe saw him. And then the day after we recorded that podcast, I saw him again. But then this time I got I, I got a better look on him with a spotting scope. And I, I couldn't see a notch in his ear for sure. So now I'm thinking maybe it's not him. Um, but, man, it sure looked like, you know, the brow tines and the main beams sure looked like it. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that could heal up a little bit so it's not quite as – so it doesn't stand out quite as much as it has in the past. Maybe that's possible. I don't know. It's been – it's been four years since I saw him first get that injury. So yeah. that's possible. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I I haven't been as obsessing as much. I did do some videos recently where I was kind of going through um, all my video stuff from last year and kind of analyzing what I did right, what I did wrong. So that got me thinking about some of this a little bit. So I have been rethinking how I want to tweak some stand locations. Um but so much of it with him in this property, there's only so many decent spots I can hunt. And so it's just a matter of, okay, you know, just pick the right one of these like four stands you can hunt during the rut and pick, make sure you got the conditions right and hope that he's going to come cruising through without you messing it up and just do the yeah. stuff that I know I got to do. And, you know, like we've talked over the years, I've put myself in a position where every year I've had a shot opportunity at him. You know, the first two years I passed, the third year I just wasn't ready for it. So it's not necessarily a matter of me doing something dramatically different. I think it's just a matter of me doing what I know I need to do and executing on that plan the right way. You know, don't take any shortcuts, don't get lazy. Um, and if I do that, I think I'll have a shot or two. 
um, if he's still in the air, I'll, I'll have an opportunity. Uh, just a matter of if I can, you know, take advantage of it. So, yeah, that's the Holyfield deal. But you know, that Survivor Buck, he could, he's hopefully back, and he, I think, will be a really cool deer this year. He'd be a four-year-old, and then that Mega Giant that I saw at the end of last year a couple times. Uh, if he hangs out on this property, that would be cool to see because <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen a Michigan buck like that before. Um, right. So that's all exciting for this little spot here. And then, you know. Question question about your northern Michigan spot. Yeah. Okay, so you you got a picture of this drop tine buck there, right? So you've done some habitat work there. It looks like it's paid off as far as bringing the uh you know some deer back into the area um has that habitat work you think directly impacted the um the age class of deer that's visiting that farm mm. so i definitely think it's directly impacted stuff it ha- if it has directly impacted the age class i don't know about that but what it, what it has done you know it's it's such a small property just 40 acres um and really the 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 section of it that we can access to make any changes is much smaller than that. I mean, you know, the maybe the front 20, the the back 20 is just kind of swamp in low ground, so it's kind of all wet and stuff. The front 20, part of that has our cabin and the yard and like some pines. And then so then maybe so maybe we're down now to about 10 acres where I could do some stuff. And of that, you know, there's only a couple acres that are workable at all without having some major logging done or someone coming with a dozer and knock out trees and we just haven't been able to do that yet so to this point we have maybe an acre of openings made now um so it's not you know so substantial that we're changing the nutritional output to a to a really heavy degree or anything but but what it do, what it has done is it's created this focal point that we never had before. So there's just no high-quality food like this around the area anywhere, at least, you know, really close to this property. Maybe maybe some, I have heard some people, a neighbor of ours, has said that such and such down the road has planted some food plots, and there is one crop field maybe a mile and a half away um, that I've seen before. But, um, but otherwise, there just isn't this kind of food. So when you put in all of a sudden a tasty little green food source like we have here, we've, we've kind of carved out three little food plots kind of it's more so like two because two of them are connected now um so kind of one and a half food plots i suppose and planted oats and buckwheat and so it's just kind of like this little ice cream section now that just there's nothing like it so we've got all of a sudden a couple doe family groups that are hanging out here consistently and consistently visiting this area that we never had before you know i've told the story in the past that we hardly ever saw deer at all. I mean, we would hunt and maybe one person would see a deer or two for the whole, you know, we usually go up there opening weekend plus a handful of days. So maybe we'll say four to five day period that there's a group of guys up there, maybe four to five guys. And we might just see a couple deer over the whole group. Um, and this is hunting our property. Plus there's a bunch of public land all around it that we hunt to. So now though we put in this food and now we're seeing deer consistently at least so lots of does i've never seen does as consistently as we're seeing now so that's awesome and now on camera we're starting to get mature bucks i think that's simply because now there's a consistent doe population here and now that there's a consistent group of does that are hitting this food plot 
there's a reason for these mature bucks to come through and, and take a look. And, and I think the reason why there's mature bucks now, I'm sure there were always a mature buck or two in the general area because this is like some mega big swamp country that people never get into. So I'm sure that there's been some big old bucks that have made it to old age that just because there's no one out there getting to them. But we're kind of getting those deer to come up towards our area now with these does that are kind of readily available. And the antler point restrictions went into play three years ago, I think, or four years ago in this area. So now a lot more of those year-and-a-half old bucks are getting passed on. So I just think you've got more two-year-olds, which means eventually more three-year-olds, which means you got more four-year-olds. Um, and that has seemed to make an impact. So we're, we're seeing way more bucks that, you know, 15 years ago, Everyone would have been like, holy smokes, that's a nice eight-pointer. And it was just a two-year-old eight-pointer. Um, but now we're actually seeing three-year-olds and four-year-olds, which um, which is which is like I am – I would be so excited. If, if I could kill a three-year-old buck on that property, that would be, you know, one of the best bucks ever killed up there. And if I could do that, that would be that would be the coolest thing possible, like the, the top goal I could accomplish. Probably – well – It'd be right up there with killing Holyfield. It'd be really close to being as as satisfying as killing Holyfield would be, just because of the history I have, you know, here and the kind of the low point that we were at and how we've been able to kind of slowly improve it. So there's so much more we could do. I feel like if we could like hire a logger to come in and clear out a few more spots for us, or if we could hire a guy with a dozer to come and push open some areas. Cause, cause the biggest thing is we just need food. We need edge yeah. and we need food. Cause right now, I mean, before we did anything, it's just basically like a 40 acre square of thick pine trees and swamp, just no transition, no edge, no features at all, just thick crap. And then that continues on for 15,000 acres in every other direction. Now, all of a sudden we've got some openings, we've got some edge, um, we've got some different kind of food. So you, you all of a sudden start getting different ways that the deer relate to it. You can start anticipating how they might travel. So now I have an idea of, okay, here's a couple spots that these does do seem to be bedding in relation to this food. Here's how they're coming in during the rut. It seems like we're seeing the, the one or two mature bucks that have been popping up. Like last year there was, um, there was one mature buck that showed up on camera. The year before that, there was two, um, and they, they seem to be showing up during the rut. So I don't think we have anything that's living on us consistently yet. But yeah. um, but each year during like the first couple weeks of November and late October, even they've been popping up. So so yeah, this year we expanded it even more. How we, many acres is that again? It's just a little forty, and um, you know, this year we decided to try to expand it a little bit more and just try to improve the quality of the little food plot areas we have so far. So we just opened up more of, took out more trees around the edges, just opened up the canopy a little bit, put down more lime. We were up there, like I said, two weekends ago. So we did some cutting, laid down a bunch more lime on it all again, um, and then sprayed it. So it, it, because of it, because of the soil quality there and it's all pine trees around there, it's very acidic soil. So I think now it's like year three or four that we've been trying to improve that soil quality that I think now finally we're going to be in a position that the, the pH level should be high enough that we can probably start planting some other things. So I might try planting some brassicas or clover. Um, so yeah, I think, like I said, we might have like an acre of food this year. That'll be great. Going to have some different stand locations kind of around that and maybe next year find a way to get some some new sections carved out and kind of go from there but it's been you know like I said it's been really cool to see up there it's a fun it's a fun 
it's a fun place to go even if there weren't deer. And now that we're starting to have a little bit more success or at least a little more opportunity from the deer hunting perspective, that makes it you know just that much more exciting. So my dad and I were up there together, and that was great. And, man, it was cool. We were I – don't, I don't think I told you this last time we chatted. If we did, tell me. Um, but we had a bonfire. We were sitting by the bonfire next to the cabin, just my dad and I talking. And it's just before dark, you know, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes before dark. And we hear turkey gobble. And this was like June 15th or 16th or 17th, something like that. And we heard turkey gobble off in the distance. So then I just start yelping with my mouth, and he gobbles back. And so I keep yelping, and he gobbles back. And over the next like half hour, I called in two gobblers right almost to the edge of the yard, just yelping at him with my mouth in the middle of June. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. That's crazy. Yeah. So that was fun to have that happen so late in the summer. I, I wouldn't have expected that. Uh, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped about that. And, um, that, that's been the big project I've been working on so far. So we'll come back in August after my Montana trip and, um, you know, put down, put down some fertilizer, get them planted, adjust some stand locations. And then I probably won't go, maybe I'll go back once and bow hunt in October and then we'll wait for gun season in middle of November to, to try to hit it hard. So that's the game plan there. All right, let's take a quick break now to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties. And as we've been doing every couple weeks here on the podcast, I want to point out a helpful resource that Whitetail Properties has put together, which is their new video in this Land Beat YouTube series they've been putting out, which features my buddy Ben Harshine, who's a Whitetail Properties land specialist. And in this video, he shares some great advice about using maps to identify habitat and terrain funnels that will serve as this kind of ideal rut hunting setup. And what I really like about this video is that it actually features an example in which Ben shows us what the funnel looks like on a map and what it looks like in person from the ground. And then finally, what it looks like from an aerial drone perspective too. So if you're still trying to wrap your head around what we mean when we talk about funnels and pinch points, this video will be a huge help. So if you're interested in checking it out, you can head over to the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel and look for the video titled Locating and Hunting Funnels. And now, back to the show i'm jack dude i i feel i feel really like i don't know just energetic not necessarily thinking i'm gonna kill anything but just like really excited to get back in the stand or uh, hunt period this year man i i 100 agree with you i got bad news to share though that is kind of a downer that i want to run past you get your thoughts on this um can i can i take you that direction okay let's hear it <laughs> um yes sir so chronic wasting disease, we, yes, we, um, we just got word. Well, two, well, two things have happened. Number one, a few weeks ago, the DNR came out with a new set of proposed recommendations for managing CWD in Michigan. Now, um, that they are proposing to our natural resources council and their proposals, we're pretty yeah. controversial um, within the state of Michigan. I want to get your thoughts on those. But then in with all that happening, most of the, where the CWD has been located to this point has been north and northwest of where I hunt, um, a handful of counties away, so nothing too close to home. But just last week we got an email saying that a CWD-positive deer was found right here by us um, in the county just north of me 
And so, and it's a county where I do hunt as well. So there is now CWD in one of these counties that I do yeah. hunt in and that, you know, my buddies like Corey and Dustin and those guys right there, right by them. Um, so that's just a huge mm-hmm. bummer that it's, it's local now. Um, but that being said, these new recommendations, these new proposals, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. So this is what they're proposing in Michigan. They're proposing to manage the state kind of in two different zones. And I'm going to paraphrase here. I might not get the exact details right. So if you live in Michigan and you're interested in this, you should just go to the DNR website and read the actual proposal because I'll probably get the details wrong. But as as I remember it, um, they're proposing a few things. They're proposing that in the core CWD kind of surveillance zone that they're calling this, I think this is the, the counties where CWD has been found. I think that's five or six counties now. Um, and then, and it, it might also then include the counties that touch those, um, in that zone, they're proposing that baiting be banned right now immediately. So that would be, you know, any baiting, any minerals, anything like that. Um, they're proposing that they will ban all, um, deer urine based lures and scents, um, that are like natural, real deer urine unless they are certified by the ATA. The ATA has gotten like a new certification program that's trying to certify CWD-free deer farms and stuff. So anything that doesn't get that certification, they're going to ban. Yep. Um, and then here's the, the controversial ones. Um, they're proposing a mid-October gun hunt for does, so opening up a handful day gun hunt during the middle of what would usually just be bow season. Um and then they're recommending taking our muzzleloader season, which is about a three-week-long period um, in December, and just changing that to a to a, any firearm season. So basically, taking our two-week firearm season and expanding yeah. that to a five-week firearm season um, in that area. So that has got a lot of people up in arms because of the fact that you know. It's just going to, especially for the people that have been trying to push for some changes to management that might help, you know, increase age structure and improve the quality of deer hunting in Michigan. There's a lot of people that have been pushing for things like antler point restrictions across the whole state. Um, And now they're seeing this as just being like, man, this is going to just destroy the quality of the the deer hunting here even more. Um, So, yeah, and and they're also banning things like um, some common sense things like no transport, well, some people are upset about this too. They don't want to transport deer carcasses across county lines now. So if you kill a deer in a CWD positive county, you're not supposed to move it outside of that county. Um, so I think some people are worried about how that's going to impact, you know, certain taxidermists or deer processing stations and stuff like that. Since what if, if you shoot a deer up north and you got to take it home, yeah. you can't just go home the next day. You have to do something with that deer. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, that's what's happened now. There's been all sorts of people up in arms about particular that gun season expansion and having that gun season in the middle of October. Um, now the quality deer management association, um, at least the local branches and stuff here have been proposing kind of a alternative, which has been, Hey, let's, let's find ways to, you know, definitely they support everything from, um, you know, stopping the transfer of carcasses to the baiting issues and things like that. But rather than the increased gun seasons, they're saying, hey, give us a bone, like throw us a bone, throw us some kind of incentive to 
help keep hunters excited and engaged in this area and we will kill more does like because because a lot of these regulation changes like the the increased firearm opportunities basically it seems to be that they're trying to get more does killed to reduce deer density in these areas to hopefully slow down the spread at a, at a high level i think that's what they're trying to achieve with these proposals so the alternative idea is hey let's reduce the buck the, the kill of yearling bucks by introducing an antler point restriction here in these areas. So, so we will kill fewer bucks because we're going to be passing on those year and a half old bucks because of the APRs, but that will hopefully lead to an older or a more balanced age structure. So that's like a, a carrot. That's an incentive for a lot of deer hunters that want to see better deer hunting opportunities in the state, but that will lead to increased doe harvest because now we're, you know, we'll take more doe tags, um, additional maybe archery doe seasons or or simply because of the fact that now we're not going to be targeting quite as many bucks will you know the, the difference will be met by targeting more does so that's this kind of alternative idea that's been put out there and that might be a way to to keep hunter morale high um, the point being that if you go in here and increase these gun seasons you're just going to get people disheartened about how deer hunting is shifting in this way, and you're not going to get the hunter engagement. And if you don't have the hunter high morale and hunter engagement, you know, you're not going to get the action that you want anyways. Because if people are upset about the situation, they're not going to go kill these does the way you want them to, and you're not going to get that outcome. Um, so those are the two different kind of proposals that have been thrown around here in the state. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen um, because CW just keeps on popping up. So obviously, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the the scientific community, the management community, the people who have done the research, like CWD is something we have to take seriously. It's it's not a government conspiracy. It's it's not something um, that the insurance companies are trying to shove down our throat. Uh, despite what you know, some people are saying that that aren't actually involved in this stuff. Um, so I think we need to take it seriously. I'm, so you're telling me that when a hunting celebrity comes on social media and and says a rant about how CWD is a hoax, we shouldn't believe them? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying, Dan. There's how, a lot of dipshits out there. Man, I'll tell you what. There's been some frustrating stuff put out into the world from uh, – yeah, I'm not claiming myself to be an expert at all, but I'm going to trust the scientists, the biologists, the the people yeah. that really understand this. Those are going to be the people that I take my information from, not someone who is trying to film a TV show about stuff or who wants to sell bait and supplements or whatever. Um, right. But yeah, right. that's so frustrating to see that kind of stuff put out in the world and confusing people. And it's just not something that we can mess around with, you know? Right. Absolutely. So – Man, when it comes to CWD, this is something that I, I am like I, I have internal thoughts about. Right. So like it sounds to me that well, before I say that, let me say this. I bet you if we tested every deer that was killed throughout the United States, CWD would show up in way more places than what it's currently at. Right. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. That sucks to say, but I have a feeling it's it's it is it's almost like one of those uh, zombie movies where mm -hmm. you know where it expands and it expands fast because a deer exposed to I mean deer we know deer are social we know deer travel and, and you know they touch each other and they eat off same 
I don't know, the same plants and, and food sources and sniff and groom each other. And, you know, if a deer does that a mile down the road to another deer and that deer does that and that deer does that, it can snowball really fast. So, like, I just think that CWD is going to be inevitable. And I think that it is nature's way. And this is me, no scientific background, right? no research, anything like that. This is just my opinion. I think that nature is going to take its course. And it, if a deer gets CWD, it's either going to die quick or it's going to die, you know, later on after it's well old and mature. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me like this is nature's way of figuring things out and the deer that survive CWD and potentially don't get it or uh, recover from it, if that's even an option, you know, or, you know, they, they're, they evolve from this, then the deer herd will come back stronger and they'll beat it. Um, but when it comes to like going out and saying, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to shoot every deer in sight, or we're going to, um, increase gun seasons and stuff like that. I, I don't think that obviously the, uh, there's a lot of people that don't need to be giving their opinion. And I think e even that the CWD world, like the people, the scientists don't even know a lot about this yet. So when like the state makes a decision based off of science that is it's there and we're showing a spread of CWD, but we don't know a hundred percent about it yet. It just kind of sucks to the hunter where they're making these, these big decisions based off of science, but it's not like a hundred percent proven science yet. You know what I mean? I do hear what you're saying. I mean, I do know what you mean, but, but what's the alternative? Do we do nothing? I don't know, man. I mean, if let's, I guess let's walk through that once doing nothing, uh, and continuing hunting and, you know, deer herds, uh, increase and decrease, you know, they increase and decrease some, you know, maybe winter kills them or, or something like that. What does, I mean, what good does it do to have PWD? I mean, do these, these mass kill offs, if it's just gonna, it's gonna be around and it's gonna, you know, we're, I don't know. I, I had so many thoughts, you know what I mean? Well, I, I think, you know, we, we, we've talked to people that have talked through the, the science, the, the term implications, you know, it's yeah. yeah. In the short term, there aren't going to be major issues, but what if we get to a point where, Wisconsin, parts of Wisconsin are getting now where in some areas, something like 40 or 50% of all the bucks are CWD positive. And right. what if we get to that point where where you hunt in Iowa, it's like that. And where I hunt yeah. here in Michigan, it's like that. And now all of a sudden, you know, we haven't seen it jump to humans yet, but the center for disease control doesn't recommend you eat it because that's not a hundred percent for sure thing. So yeah. what if now every other buck you kill, you can't eat. And what if, you know, in Wyoming and stuff where it's been known to be around for a while longer, they are seeing population level declines because of CWD. So what if we get to a point now where, and this might be 20 years from now, this might be a long ways away, but what about when, you know, when Mac and Everett are hunting, you know, they can't eat any of the bucks they kill and they can't, 
you know, deer populations are going down by 10% every year. So that means we have to change our hunter regulations. So now you can't get two buck tags a year in Michigan because the population is going to be going down. Uh, Or what if we find out that, yeah, actually some percentage of humans that have been eating deer meat now are actually developing some kind of nervous system issues. I mean, there are, I agree, like there's so many questions. There's so many unknowns still, but at the same time, if we don't try to slow it at least or do something, it just seems like the the long-term impacts are, are scary. So I don't know anything about, you know, Wisconsin's the kind of hotbed for this, right? They went in when they had this, when the, the CWD first became prevalent, right? They went in and they destroyed the deer population, right? They tried to wipe it out as much as possible over time. It had it's been kind of rebounded, right? But what I don't know is are the deer in that area still CWD positive? Sounds to me like they are. Yeah, but but here's the thing: what they did is that they did a like the scorch, and again, this is me from the outside, from what I've heard and read. We're not professionals. We're not professionals and we don't live and hunt there. So I'm going to get some of the details probably wrong. But as I understand the situation, right when they first discovered CWD in the area, they did try like the scorched earth policy where they tried to really knock out the deer populations in these areas. They really aggressively tried to, you know, thin deer populations and do different things like that. But then like five years ago or six years ago or whatever, they decided to go the complete opposite and they really like went hands off. Like they're going to, they monitored the CWD, but then they weren't doing much in these areas where it was being found to try to slow the spread or do anything else. So they went the exact opposite direction with it. Now the last, I don't know how many years it's been, but five, six, seven, something like that um, to where they're not trying to make any type of uh, changes. Yes. To your point, CWD is definitely still there. It is increasing the uh, the infection rate seems to be higher and higher every year. It seems to be that zone is growing out from that hot spot. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if, if the scorched earth policy that they had for a while, if that slowed things down and if they kept doing something like that, maybe that would keep it from spreading at the rate it is. I don't know if that's the case or not. To your point though, I feel like the balance with this, and this is from a purely just as a hunter stand standpoint, but I think from the way I see things, I think that we need to be doing as many common sense things we can do to, to reduce the spread as much as possible, to slow the spread as much as possible, um, to at least keep things from getting critical, critically damaged until we learn something or find some other solution that's going to help us, you know, stop this thing in a more wholesale way. But but we can't lose hunter engagement and morale either, right? Because right. so if we start doing things that get hunters completely unengaged, then we can't, you know, we can't do any of these things like thinning the deer population a little bit or getting people to even report their deer or get their deer tested. Like if people are so frustrated or if people's deer hunting situations in their area are so destroyed that they're not even be part of it anymore, then then you're not achieving anything else either. So there's got to be some kind of middle ground. I don't know where that is, um, where we need to take it seriously. We need to learn more. We need to make sure there's money and time and investment going into researching this. We need to stop things that are spreading this around quickly, like transporting deer all over the place and, you know, 
infected deer getting loose out of captive facilities or killing a CWD positive in Wisconsin and then bringing it back to Wisconsin, bringing it back to Michigan and dropping it in your backyard and then having a new hotspot there. Like that kind of stuff that's like obvious. I feel like it makes a whole lot of sense to knock that out. Um, the other stuff. No, I've mentioned. I know I've mentioned, I mean, I read an article uh, a couple days ago last week about, uh, came out of the Pennsylvania state of, or uh, University of Pennsylvania or Penn State or something like that, uh, where they did the research and nine out of 11 mineral stations uh, tested positive for CWD in wherever this research was done. So yeah. I think that this year is going to be my last year using mineral. Man, that is, I literally was going to ask you, yeah. do, are we at a point now where that type, those types of studies are showing that these mineral stations or bait stations are disproportionately high areas of concentration for this kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Do, so, so do we have a moral or, 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 habit or even like a management uh, obligation as hunters to say, you know what, yeah, these deer can get it in a lot of other ways too, but this is one way that I can reduce the chances or slow it in some way. So even if it's not banned in my state, should we stop doing it? So right. you're saying you would. Yeah. I mean, which is crazy, right? Um, I feel it's my part. I feel it's my responsibility because I am offering deer a concentrated place to meet, right? Which, which really sucks because – a hundred yards from where my mineral stations are, are salt block blocks for the cattle that the deer visit. Right. So if I'm not putting out mineral, the deer are going to be going and getting that mineral from the salt blocks and the mineral blocks that are being put out in on the farms that I hunt. There's deer tracks all over them along with the cattle. So I, going to tell the farmer they shouldn't do it too they're going to tell you you're crazy they don't care um but i feel it's my responsibility even if it's just a half of a half of a percent it it helps i think i think it's just my responsibility to do that yeah, yeah i think um i think it's something that people got to start thinking long and hard about um it I sucks know- dude because it's one of my favorite things to do Oh, and I'll tell you what, it seriously impacts your ability to capture summer trail cameras pictures. Because, yeah. Yep. yeah, I can't I can't bait or put mineral in Michigan anymore. And it's really tough to get the concentration of pictures like you can when you have that out there. I mean, it's dramatically different approach that I have to take now, trying to find, you know, just setting up on a inside corner of a bean field and hoping that some deer are going to pass through there or water source or trail crossing or something like that it's it's nothing like having a trophy rock or whatever out there but to your point i think it's it's something we gotta we gotta think about because yeah i mean we got we got illinois right so now we got illinois didn't they ban mineral stations or a while ago right so yeah it's been it's been banned for a while but now people are trying to trying to get it reversed yeah the people who are trying to reverse it are the are the people who own I think I want to say uh, biologic, right? I don't I don't I haven't heard about that because that's mossy okay. oak, um, right. not mossy oak. Uh, but someone who's got supplements, a yeah, company yeah, has supplements a company, and stuff. yeah, a company that has supplements is trying to reintroduce it, and their whole push is um, 
the deer need our supplements because they're unhealthy. So the more healthy that they are, they are, you know, they may be able to fight this, which, you know, is a, is an okay, you know, is an okay reason, right? If you think that your mineral provides, um, uh, nutrition to deer, then that would be, be good to help them fight disease. But this disease attacks strong, healthy animals. Right. Yeah. It can get any of them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, if they can show me the science that says that no way is our bait sites and these types of deals impacting this, the, the spread of the disease, but I haven't seen anything like that yet. All the, all the research, all the biologists, the experts on this that, you know, that don't work for a deer hunting community, but the people that work, you know, for the USGS and stuff like that, like the ones that don't have some kind of weird incentive pushing them one way or another. They're the ones pointing to the fact that, yeah, this, this stuff is an issue. So I'm going to, I'm going to put my faith in that. Yep. On a uh, positive note, I do have faith that science and the hunting community will work together to help either like reduce this or solve this problem. I, I, I just have a feeling that there's going to be a breakthrough because of how many, how much deer means to people. Yeah, I think there's going to be something positive come out of all this. And in the long run, we may suffer short term, but at the end of the day, I think years down the road, there's going to be, there's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be a cure, but a solution. Yeah. Yeah. I I hope you're right. I think, I think, you know, I like your optimistic view on it too. And probably, so if that's the case, if we're really hoping that something like that can be the case, it seems like probably the weak link right now is research because the charts I've seen recently have shown the funding that has been devoted to research in CWD has just gone down the tubes as of a few years ago. Because there's like yeah. a bunch of grants that were given back when it was first shown, when it first popped up in the early 2000s, and that money ran out. And so recently, I think there's not been very much funding. Um, so I think we as a hunting community need to get behind different proposals to start getting some dollars put towards more research to, to try to find those kinds of solutions. And I know that I know that there was something proposed earlier this year, a bill proposing some kind of um, serious funding being granted to that kind of thing. So I think when those when um, when specific uh, legislation is put out there that we hear about, we definitely need to push that, talk about it, get people on board, get our representatives behind it. Absolutely. That's always a rant rare kind of topic, though. I know. It? it sucks. Let's end this positive. Let's end on a on a positive note. I'm leaving for Montana. I know. I'm jacked for you because, again, I'll be living through your Instagram pictures and the pictures that you send me to be – basically, you're being a dick to me. <laughs> you send me those pictures like, hey, look where I'm at, and you're not. Have you Have you taken your kids camping? Do you have any advice uh, for me? Because uh, he's five months old. We're taking off for five weeks. Right. Now, I've never taken my kid camping, right? But here's what I will tell you on trips uh, like that. You have either got to get them asleep or you have to keep them occupied. I don't care how old they are, right? So he's five months old. So what are his favorite things right now? Um, boobs and <laughs> probably a mirror. So if you can, so he'll look at it or a pacifier or something, you know what I mean? Just like, so get him, maybe keep him up a little bit, make your night suck a little bit, uh, and then put him in the car seat. So when you take off, he sleeps or drive when you're driving out there, that's going to be the suckiest part of it all. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. 
right? So maybe, maybe you or your wife sleep during the day, you know, try to alter, go to bed early or, or go to bed late, however you want to do it and then drive through the night. So he sleeps on a regular routine and he's not, you know, during the day, he's not crying and have to stop and then Mm -hmm. feed him and then wait, stop and change diapers and all that stuff. You can, you know, and then there's Benadryl. I mean, that's always an option as well. (laughs) Do they have baby Benadryl? Oh yeah. You can give a baby Benadryl just a little bit, but. You don't want to overdo it. Yeah, I'm probably not going to do that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't. I was just going to say, don't do that. Don't take but, advice. Don't but take your, that advice. Your advice about driving through the night—that is a good idea, and it's something yeah. we were thinking about. We're, we're talking about maybe like just like leaving at like two in the morning or something, like just super yeah. early, so yeah. that um, so that to your point, he'll sleep for seven hours or something before he gets up. Because I because I, w- I was worried, like man you know, every couple hours he wants to eat and every few hours he has to get his diaper changed. And so every time we have to do that, you know, that means we have to stop, pull off, take him out of his car seat, do that whole deal. I mean, that could really slow, slow things down. The other thing you might want to be worried about and not, this isn't to go back to Debbie Downer road again is elevation, right? You're going to be at a higher elevation and it could play havoc on his ears. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that too much, but but I think right. there's little there's something you can do to babies to help them uh, get used to that. Mm, I'll have to look into that because yeah, I mean we'll be going to even down in the valleys. You know that's even that's still five thousand feet of elevation or something. So it's gonna be it's gonna be an adventure, man. It's gonna be different. I don't yeah. know what we're gonna be able to do. I don't know what how you know. One of the big issues, we went camping this past weekend with him just to kind of test the waters here locally. Yep. And what we didn't even think about was just, you know, trying to keep him asleep, you know, when he goes down for naps or usually we we put him down to bed before we go to bed. But that's in this little 20-foot box that everything's in. So it's not like he has a separate bedroom where he can go and not be woke up by us. But yeah. it's all in the same place, though. So if we want to go in and cook or if we have to go in and do anything or if if we're coming in and out to go to bed and we have two dogs, one of which is this big black lab who's really loud. Whenever he's in there, his tail's smacking things, his feet are scratching. I mean, there's no way to quietly get in and out of there. So I don't know what we're going to do for sleeping. It's it's going to be <laughs> like I'm just imagining the worst case scenario in my head right now. And I just imagine in about, oh, two weeks, you and your wife are going to look at each other. You're going to be fighting with each other, <laughs> but you don't know what you're going to be fighting about. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's because your child is continuously crying. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say, why don't we just go back to Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> I, that could, that could happen. And like, we, we even like, we even have talked about that. We're going to be flexible. You know, if it ends up being a disaster, then all right, we're just going to call it. But, but hopefully we can, you know, hopefully we can have a good time out there and do some basic hikes and just, you know, enjoy the Western scenery a little bit, show them a Buffalo and a, and a grizzly bear from the road, maybe. Um, I'm so, glad you added from the road. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? We're gonna try to we're gonna try to take him on some hikes. We got the baby backpack thing for him. So yeah. Yeah. we're gonna try to do a backpacking trip with him, see how that goes. Um so yeah, it's gonna be an education in what uh, parent life is like uh, on the road. 
I'll report back to you in the coming weeks. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh I think next summer is going to be a family Colorado trip. Nice. So, um I might even be taking some advice from you as well. Yeah. Man, I, I think it's just going to be so cool. I can't wait till he's as old as as Ava or Mac when I'm, you know, at that age, they're going to really, you know, get excited about stuff yeah. and, and see, you know, an elk or the mountains and, you know, flip out. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that just seems so exciting. Yeah. So whole, oh, new, buddy. whole new world, man. Hey, whole new Mac world. is, Mac is potty trained. That's exciting. That's huge. So you're, you're down to just one in diapers. Well, he still wears a pull up to bed, right? Okay. Uh, at night. Yeah, well, he, hey. can't re- he can't really wipe his butt that good yet, but <laughs> when he's awake throughout the day, no problems. That's got that's got to be a great relief. One less diaper, dude. It's a big thing. It's like I almost feel like I should celebrate with my wife. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I uh, yeah, kids, man. It's been awesome so far. Yeah. You know. The first five months, you know, we've talked about a few times before, but it's it's just been amazing. He's been easier to handle than I expected. Like he's just been a happy baby, a great sleeper. All of those things have been great. You got but, lucky. Uh, yeah, I got lucky. But the big test, the big test is still to come. Yeah. This trip and then hunting season. So, yeah. yeah what are you gonna carry him around for, like a? a four week hunt you're going to take him in the tree stand with you like that kind of test. Yeah, man, I, I'm going to try the new saddle hunting thing and he's going to be in the front pack and, uh, <laughs> that'll make for some good videos, right? Oh boy. Uh, yeah, man. Well, I'm glad we got some time just to catch up. It's, uh, it's increasingly harder to do with kids and work. And so thanks for making the BS session here, buddy. Hey man, anytime, any, uh, any final things we got to cover before we shut this one down? Not really, man. Um, the other day I was going out and checking the mail and I had this thought pop in my head like, man, I haven't had SpaghettiOs in a long time. And <laughs> I just really wanted SpaghettiOs. I, I, I haven't had them yet, but uh, in the next couple of days, my goal is to go to the store, get a can of SpaghettiOs. Man, that that's riveting stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> You asked, man. I did ask. Why? <laughs> what made you think that when you were going out to get the mail? Like, what triggered SpaghettiOs while getting the mail? You know how I think, dude. Abstract, random. Very abstract. Do you remember that one time that uh, you went into your kitchen, you opened up a cabinet door, you grabbed a can of food out of it, you started eating it, and you later realized that was dog food? Yeah. Yeah, it was only one bite. You make it sound like I ate the whole <laughs> container before I realized that. It's only one bite. <laughs> That, you know, when anyone asks me, like, so what's this Dan Johnson guy like? I'm just, I just tell him that story, and that's, that's all that needs to be said. <laughs> that dude ate dog food once. He ate dog food once, and then talked about it on a podcast. Right. right. He admitted to it. Yeah. He admits he's a dumbass. That's, that's your most admirable characteristic right there, Dan. You just put it all out there. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Someone's got to do it. That's true. All right, dude. Well, good chatting, and um, next time we talk, I will be able to tell you how uh, Baby Adventure 1.0 has gone. (laughs) And that's it for us today, folks. So thank you for tuning in. Happy 4th of July week. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. 
Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 